0: The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the hosts and creators of this program.
1: This is the Pet Buzz. This is the Pet Buzz. Freshly collected with news, celebrity pet gossip, and the latest pet trends. Hosted by pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. And here's the Dynamic Pet Duo.
0: Well, greetings, pet lovers. Dr. Fleck and I are coming to you from the EpiPet Studio in Bradenton, Florida. And I want to let you know that the Pet Buzz family is now international. We welcome our new affiliate, CJMR, and that's at 1320 on your radio dial. CJMR serves the city of Mississauga and surrounding areas of the greater Toronto and Hamilton area. In Canada, it is the voice of the city, and we welcome you Canadians to our growing pet loving family so dr fleck exciting news the america's beloved puppy ball is back for its 18th or 19th year and if you aren't familiar with the puppy Bowl, it's an annual television program on animal planet that mimics an american football game similar to the big game using puppies the big game is shown each year on The big game Sunday and the show consists of footage of a batch of puppies at play inside a model stadium with commentary on their actions. Here's the best part. The 2023 puppy goal will be the largest yet it's got 122 puppy players and 67 different shelters and rescues making up the events team rough and team fluff among the pets competing this year this is great there are 11 rescue puppies with special needs who are ready to show off their athletic prowess um, to help their team win the puppy Bowl's Lombarski trophy and many of the special need dogs are hearing impaired or have mobility problems so some are born um, without front paws or you know fused legs and the three-hour puppy ball of 2023 will air on february 12th on animal planet and stream on discovery and here's the best part according to don Schackner, who has been the referee for the big game for 11 years every puppy bowl ends with every single dog being adopted
2: that's wonderful
0: love that it's yes. great and also to remind you if you're going to buy football apparel for your pooch for the other big game you need to buy that immediately after you know what teams are heading to the big game so that you can get apparel
2: in a timely basis all right well now let's move on with the rundown of this week's show this week we are discussing a high school class designing a prosthetic for a rescue dog top dog and cat names american indians and dogs winter bathing And it
0: makes sense that January is National Organization Month. We all want a fresh start to the new year. And for pet lovers, that means some tips to organize pet stuff that just seems to be all over our homes. Since January is National Get Organized Month, I am bringing a professional in to help us dog and cat lovers. Well, joining us today is certified professional organizer, Amy Tokas. Amy is president of the National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals, that's NAPO, and the owner of Amy Tokus Productivity. Welcome back, Amy. I'm so glad that you can join us today. Well, thank you,
3: Charlotte. It's always fun to talk about our favorite people, our pets, or our favorite. I
0: know. our four-legged family members, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly.
3: Okay. I have, um, I have my dog, she's sitting right behind me, supporting me for this. So <laughs>
0: Supporting you for that. I love it. So, okay, Amy, what do we need to organize our pet stuff? And, like, what's, like, one rule that you could share with us that we should follow when thinking about or- pet organizing? So it's hard to come up
3: with one rule. I, um, I was thinking about this and the one thing, well, there's a couple of things I'll tell you, um, give the stuff a home. A lot of times things are just scattered about, uh, and different wherever it was convenient to stick it at the time. But if we can gather it all together, and give it a home, it's easier for us to find things when we need it. Okay. Okay. Love now, that. The second piece of that is we need to get rid of the stuff that we don't use. A lot of times we have um, the clothing that we didn't really like. We ordered the bow and it, you know, it it looks wonky, but we hang on to it. Um, or maybe there's memorabilia that we have, like, um, the old dog tags, the old dog collar, the old, um, Maybe ashes from past pets, all that memorabilia, and it's like scattered about too. Put that with memorabilia. It doesn't need to be with your pet supplies you can honor it somewhere else
0: you know that's a good point and also you know there's a lot of times you bring a toy home your dog or cat doesn't play with it either give it to a friend who has a dog or a cat or you can even drop it up at the Salvation Army or Goodwill and they and get the donation and let another pet play with it it's hard when you have like clothes especially if you have puppies you know the first three years you go out and buy a bunch of stuff and then the puppy outgrows it or your dog outgrows it so that kind of stuff you can give away or donate Okay. So, you know, here's a problem that a lot of people are having right now. So after a walk in the cold weather, we have wet coats and leashes and we have to deal with them. What tips do you offer for dealing with them in that particular say in that particular situation, as well as just organizing them as a whole?
3: So I am now experiencing this. So we're living in an apartment and no backyard. So I'm constantly walking my dog and we're getting wet and grubby. And so what I recommend is treating your dog stuff the same way you treat your stuff. If I have a raincoat, um, I have a process of putting it somewhere to dry out and do the same thing with your dog's coat. If you have a dog coat, the leashes the same, hang them so they can dry and then um, put them back into the process. Once they're done, possibly just tossing them in the laundry. If they're dirty, muddy, um, we're doing dog park and, i'm telling you bella my dog gets muddy all the time and so i'm constantly just tossing things into the laundry to be washed and then put back into circulation
0: yeah i mean normally what i nor i do is i hang my coat and the dog's coats up in the laundry room yes. and as well as their leashes and then they sometimes they're not ready for the next walk a few hours later so then what i'll do is i'll just put fresh leashes up because i have a bunch of leashes as you can imagine in the spot where the leashes normally are in the basket right near the door so when i'm ready to go i say let's go out for a walk they're ready to go i leash them up and i take them right out the door and i learned that tip from you to if you're going to use something put it in the place that you're using it and that's when we go out it's right near the door so thank you for that
3: you are welcome that is one of my my favorite things especially now that i'm walking the dog all the time i have the same thing i have leash I have the poop bags. I have the um, the keys. Those are the three things I need for a walk. <laughs> so it's like they're all right there together.
0: Well, if you've just joined us, we're talking with Amy Tokas, the president of the National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals. That's NAPO. She is also the owner of Amy Tokas Productivity. We're talking to her about ways to organize all of your pet stuff. Okay, let's talk about, Dog and cat toys, because we seem to have them all over the house. I mean, they're under the couch. They're in our beds. I mean, you can find them anywhere, the kitchen, the backyard. How do we organize them?
3: Well, unfortunately, our pets love their toys. I shouldn't say unfortunately. I'm happy that our pets love their toys, but unfortunately, they don't clean up after themselves. So we have to embrace this part of being a pet owner and not be too hard on ourselves. So what I usually recommend is just having a spot, giving the toys a home, a little basket on the floor to put everything in. And then it's easy for the pets to get it out and play with it when they want to. All right. That's a great way to gather it and then remove the toys that you don't like. Uh, You know, I have a toy that um, my dog shreds. She likes to shred those stringy ropes and so she'll shred them and leave pieces all over the, my space. So I have to pick it all up because she doesn't clean up after herself. And so I el- eliminated those pet, those toys, because, um, they're a nuisance for me and I give her the toys that she won't shred and that, um, she can enjoy without being a pain for me to clean up.
0: Or you could teach your dog to clean up and put all the toys in the basket. That's not happening at my house and I don't think it's happening at your house. But that's an option if you want to do that, right? Wouldn't we love that?
3: I love that option. And if you do it for your pets, come to my place and teach my dog the same. (laughs) Okay.
0: Okay, so let's talk about organizing pet food and treats especially now more people are stocking up because we know that sometimes we depending on if we have a prescription brand or a specialty brand we might not always find it on a shelf at a pet store or a supermarket these days right we have that
3: and we also have the auto ship that's happening and um, i see a lot with my clients they're on auto ship and they forget to stop something you know they they're on vacation and the the pet goes somewhere and doesn't eat treats for the week or whatever it is. And they're, they start accumulating more than what they need. So it's being mindful and intentional about what you're ordering and making sure that you're not ordering an overabundance and then keeping things all together. So you can see what you have. So you know, dog treats or cat treats as one of those things that some people will have all throughout the house so that they can treat their pet wherever they're at. But we forget how much we have when it's all throughout the house. And if you put it all together and you're like, oh, I have six bags of cat treats, then it's more of a reality check of, okay, when I'm shopping, I don't need any more cat treats because I have plenty and sometimes we just get in the habit of replenishing just because we see it and we want to spoil our pets.
0: Well, we have to move on to take a commercial break, but professional organizer Amy Tokas will be back in our next segment. Also up next, Celebrity Pet Buzz and my favorite, Flex Facts.
2: I'm Bill Bookout, president and chairman of the board, the National Animal Supplement Council, and you are listening to the Pet Buzz, the best in pet talk radio.
0: Thank you for joining us on the Pet Buzz, the show is hosted by the Dynamic Pet Duo. I'm petrondologist, Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian,
2: Dr. Michael Fleck.
0: Well, we're back with Amy Tokas, the owner of Amy Tokas Productivity, and she's talking about ways to organize all of our pet stuff. Amy, what about grooming supplies? And oh yeah, I can't forget cat litter because so many people have cat litter. Right.
3: Um, Well, let's start with grooming supplies. You know, earlier I said, put everything together. So you have a pet place for everything. Um, But I will put an asterisk by grooming supplies because point of use is very important for grooming supplies for most people. Uh, For example, my dog, when I sit down on the living room floor, she'll come and snuggle up with me. And that's usually when I grab the brush and I pet her and I brush her and I might spray her with her spray so she smells better. And so it's kind of this rhythm that we get into. Now, I like my brush and the spray right there by her or where we sit down and do that so that... um, so that I do it because if it were put away with all the other stuff, I would have to get up, I'd have to go get it, I'd have to bring it back over. And by the time she's gone and done doing <laughs> golf, doing something else, because I left. And so, um, getting into having it handy there means that she gets brushed more often,
0: yeah. And then you could always hide it if people are coming over,
3: yes. I usually hide it it in a drawer just right. right by where i sit so it's already hidden it's just not with right. all the other dog stuff just because
0: the other thing that i learned i guess from you too was i have all my grooming stuff first of all i don't groom my dogs very often meaning they usually get groomed every three weeks i don't do it but on those days where i have to clean them up i have a grooming caddy that I keep all the shampoos and all the absorbent towels in. And it's fairly large. I bought it at a supermarket or one of those organization stores. And all the stuff's in there and it's in the laundry room. Great. And then Perfect. I just and then I take the dogs in that particular shower because it has a bench and put the dogs up on the bench. And then I but I learned that from you because it was much it was much easier. And then I do have a brush. So when I'm sitting there on the living room, which my living room is more casual, I don't have a formal living room. I then I'll just whip out and brush the dogs and then I'm, and immediately reach over for a duty bag and I'll put the hair from the brush in there and get up and throw it in the garbage can. So right. I think these kind of routines can be part of your everyday. Like I have an everyday scheduler, the things I have to do every single day. And I put that on, you know, the Monday, Wednesday, and Friday schedule.
3: That's great time management right there and being strategic and intentional about how you're using your time. That's great.
0: No, I learned all that from you over the years. Well, I want to say thank you so much for joining me, Amy. It's always a pleasure seeing you. And before you leave, can you give us your website? Yes,
3: I am at amytokas.com. And if you're looking for a professional organizer in your area, you can go to napo.net.
0: That's great. Well, just to remind you, that was Amy Tokus, the president of the National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals. That's NAPO, that's napo.org. And the owner of Amy Tokus Productivity. You can find her at amytokus.com And learn from the best. You know, all I'm gonna tell you is just organize one thing of your pet stuff today. And that way, you're definitely gonna be on your way. What's next, Celebrity Pet Buzz. This week on the Peppas, I've got a celebrity roundup for you. Let's start with Pioneer Woman Ray Drummond. Her daughter got a golden retriever puppy. She's excited about having a grand dog. Well, Blue Blood's actress Bridget Moynihan and former girlfriend and the original baby mama to Tom Brady is helping to reunite a bodega owner with his cat. She posted the lost cat poster on her Instagram feed. Of course she would. The cat answers to the name of Bridget Moynihan. Not only a hoot, but a Meow! And on February 1st, Netflix will premiere Gunther's Millions, a four part investigative documentary series which covers the globe to explore how the dog Gunther number three of the late countess Carlotta Liebenstein, who happened to die in 1992 and willed her entire 80 million fortune to her beloved pooch. Lives. The show also gives us an inside looky looky at the humans who run the Canines Estate and what they've done with his cash. And lastly, Jana Bush Hagar recently revealed to her co-host. Kota Katobe on today that she gave her daughter a cat named Mila for Christmas and that her daughter is the best cat mother ever. But like all kids with pets, their mothering usually stops at bedtime. And it seems as if Mila, the cat disappeared and Bush was up all night looking for her. eventually the cat was found stuck in a pantry. And that's all the celebrity pet buzz. And now it's time for flex facts.
1: Welcome to Just the Facts. Just
2: the Facts. Fact or fiction. Just the Facts, ma'am. You want
0: answers. I want the truth. Dr. Fleck, what are we going to talk about today?
2: Something very common that I see with almost every other patient that I visit with. Today, we're going to talk about what if you find a lump or bump on your dog? Lumps and bumps on or below the pet's skin are really very common. If you do find a lump or a bump, have your vet examine it
0: well you know these days so many people have to wait for veterinary appointments how best does a pet owner monitor a lump or a bump until they actually see the vet
2: well i think it's a good idea to keep a log where you write down when you first notice the lumps and or bumps how many there are where they're located the size that's very important the color and texture whether it's movable or seems to be fixed to underlying tissue and whether it is in discharge, present condition, or just a solid mass. Take pictures with your cell phone and note any changes from day to day and and any of these factors. More importantly, if you're looking from day to day, it may not be good enough. You may have to do it from week to week or even month to month.
0: Okay, that's really good advice. So how does the veterinarian diagnose these lumps and bumps and maybe assist on a dog?
2: Well, well, a sample of cells may need to be taken and evaluated under a microscope for diagnosis. This can come from taking an impression of the surface of the growth, using a syringe and small needle to withdraw a small sample of cells in the exam room, that's called a fine needle aspirant, or surgically remove a small tissue sample, which would be a biopsy, while your dog is under local or general anesthetic. Most veterinarians evaluate impressions, smears, or fine needle aspirants by staining the slide and examining it under microscope in the veterinary office. Trained veterinary pathologists are also available to analyze these same samples or small tissue samples to determine a diagnosis. Then your vet can determine the appropriate treatment recommendation and explained with what to have as an expected outcome. So what are treatments for lumps and bumps? Well, some options for treatment of a growth on a dog may include monitoring for changes, removal by freezer or laser treatments, surgical removal of the lump with or without, also removing normal tissue, chemotherapy and radiation. Wow,
0: that's a lot. It is a lot. Well, I guess you just kind of have to wait and see what happens, right?
2: Absolutely.
0: Well, thank you, Dr. Fleck. Is there anything else? That's all the Flex Facts for the week. Dr. Fleck, so glad you were able to review a common pet owner concern because this seems to be a big concern on all breeds
2: of dog, yes? Yeah, I mean, I'm concerned when I see a bump on my dog, but most bumps don't progress to anything serious.
0: Well, up next, the I Like You of the Week, the Pet Buzz mailbag, and. Our next guest, more of The Pet Buzz coming in a Buzzworthy moment.
1: You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We would love to communicate with you via social media. Use The Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com.
0: So I'm a cat, and I just moved in with this new human. And she's got this little toy she's always playing with, all day long. Tap, 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 bloop, bloop. She can't put it down. There it is. Oh, and get this. She even talks to it. Last week, she asked it for Chinese. And guess what? Egg rolls showed up, like magic. Humans have cool toys.
4: A person is the best thing to happen to a shelter pet. Be that person, adopt. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the ShelterPetProject.org.
0: Welcome back, you're listening to the Pet Buzz, the best in pet talk radio, where we focus on enhancing the bond between pets and their people. I'm petrendologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian, Dr. Michael Fleck. Hey, let's kick off this segment with the I Likey of the Week
2: the way it has to be cuz
1: that's the way i like it it's genius i like it, I love you so much. I like it. it's the day for
0: You know, on these cold winter nights, your dog can get chilly, especially if he or she sleeps in his own bed. One solution to warm him or her up is the Snuggle Safe Microwave Heat Pad that offers up to 10 hours of warmth. The plate side pad contains no electrical wires to worry about. Just place the Snuggle Safe inside your microwave, select full power, and set the timer according to how many watts your microwave pumps out. See the included chart for watts and times when the microwave has finish leave snuggle safe inside for another minute the non-toxic thermopole compound inside the pad retains heat for up to 10 hours find snuggle safe for $29.99 on amazon.com i like it so much i got a few for the dogs and one for me
2: you've got mail
0: This question is for you Dr. Fleck. Henrietta writes from Tennessee about how often she should bathe her West Highland White Terrier in the winter months.
2: Well you know it's important to keep up grooming routine even during the winter months not only to help keep your dog clean and smelling fresh but also to help prevent fleas, prevent matting, and notice any lumps and bumps that your dog's winter coat might be hiding. I suggest once a month but If your dog is really dirty from the snow, dirt, and ice melt, you will need to wash your dog more frequently. A clean, healthy coat is a critical part of how your pup stays insulated during colder months, and that means bathing your dog in winter is a must. Bathing your dog at home during the colder months can be a health risk, though, so the process requires some precautions. Many dog parents typically bathe their pups outside with a hose but that just isn't gonna be possible in the winter for those in cold climates. Dogs can suffer from hypothermia just like humans so wintertime bathing requires a shift in your routine too. Wintertime baths should be done as early in the day as possible to give your pup time to dry during the warmest part of the day. A late morning bath provides many hours for them to lay around in a warm sunny window to dry. Also consider colder temperatures can weaken your pet's immune system, making it easier for them to catch an upper respiratory illness. Keeping them as warm as possible while wet is a great idea your home must be warm before during and after bathing your dog in winter to ensure the best results most people don't enjoy stepping out of a warm bath into a cold room and doing so can even make you sick the same goes for our dogs so turn up the temperature in your home just because it's cold outside doesn't mean your pets Bath water should be warmer than usual. A tub of mildly warm water is typically pleasing to most dogs, no matter the season. Like us, dogs experience dry, flaky, and painful skin during the winter. A moisturizing shampoo can help alleviate any issues. Pat your, pat your pup dry with an absorbent towel before you leave the bathroom. Make sure you dry inside the air flaps and around the head where moisture can be trapped and lead to infection. It's a good idea to keep your freshly cleaned dog inside until fully dry, so make sure to take them for a walk or let them go potty before you get started. And lastly, if you don't wanna go through the hassle or stress of washing your dog at home, take your pet to a groomer, wash bar, or schedule a mobile groomer. Let us know how it goes, Henrietta. Well, our next
0: guest is on the phone. So Native American dogs or pre-Columbian dogs were living dogs or dogs living with indigenous people in the Americas, arriving about 10,000 years ago. They are now almost completely extinct, except for a small handful of breeds. For dog lovers, learning about these dogs and how they lived with Native Americans is really really eye-opening.
2: And joining us to talk about American Indians and dogs is Bash Hallow. As a veterinary professional for 20 years, he managed a practice in New York City before advancing to regional manager positions for Healthy Pet Corporation, later called VCA. And finally, the administrator for a large 15 doctor practice hospital in Princeton, New Jersey. He is a certified veterinary practice manager and a licensed veterinary technician. Bash, welcome to the Pet Buzz. Well, thank you so
4: much. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: You know, Bash, I found your article online and about American Indians and dogs. I'm just curious, what prompted you to write about this topic?
4: I was lecturing in Bismarck, North Dakota, and I went to the museum that they have there. It turns out that North Dakota... Has this great trove of dinosaur fossils from the Cretaceous period. And a lot of times, when archaeologists are digging for these fossils, they'll unearth evidence of Native American settlements. And in one of the installations in the museum, they had this 5,000 year old gravesite that contained the remains of a Native American and his dog. And it was so beautiful the way that they depicted it in the museum. You could see this Native American skeleton kind of curled around the dog, almost the way that we would curl around our own dog in bed. And I was just so moved by this idea that these early people 5,000 years ago had the same kind of relationship that I do with my dog today. that, That pushed me to journey more and to learn more about Native Americans and their dogs.
2: Cool. How profound.
0: Yeah, really. And Bash has one more than one dog, so I'm sure he's doing
2: a lot of curling with his dogs. They
4: own my bed. They own my bed. I
2: don't. They own it. Oh, you're one of those 70 percenters. OK, so,
4: so what do most American Indian dogs look like? Well, you know, I, I think that many people have that question. North America is a big continent, and I think you could probably imagine that the phenotype differed depending upon where you looked at that dog. Just as though you might visit a shelter in Philadelphia and see what a street dog looks like there, it might look very different from a street dog that you find in a shelter in Sacramento. And so those dogs probably look very differently in North America. Although I think the experts believe that they kind of had two sort of general phenotypes. One is more of a like a Basinji look. So if the listeners want to go online and look at the Carolina dog, otherwise known as the American dingo, or look at an Australian dingo, that was one kind of a look. And another kind of a look would be more of a a husky sort of bred with a, a German shepherd. So picture a husky with like shorter hair, but still those vibrant, beautiful hazel or amber eyes
0: cool so basically you know you just never know because obviously the dogs are you know copulating and you never know what you're going to get but i know <laughs> that a lot of native american dogs of some of that i've seen early on do have a lot of hair like the ones that came because as indians came down across the bering strait into this country they had a lot of thicker hair you know i'm really curious we talked uh, bash and i in our pre-interview conversation about um, how American Indians feel about their dogs. Um, And even, you know, what's the, the general consensus and what were these dogs used for in their history?
4: Well, they were as close to their dogs as we are today, maybe even more so. Whereas, you know, we'll be loving on our dogs at night, but then leave them in the house when we go to work. That was not the case with Native Americans. Dogs participated in every aspect of Native American life. Uh, Families had as many as 30 dogs. in their household each yes each with its own name and each trained to come when called by name these dogs ate with their masters they slept with their masters when the native americans got up to collect wood they went with them they helped them hunt buffalo the native americans built these sleds called travoy and they were attached to the dogs and the dogs were asked to pull those sleds along sometimes those uh those sleds uh, had as much as 40 pounds of goods weighed down on them. But those dogs happily carried that load. Uh, They were even viewed as spiritual. They thought that their dogs could actually see into the afterlife and sometimes see those people that were in the afterlife. So they were exceedingly close to their dogs and integral to the success of the tribe. If you've just
0: joined us for speaking with Bash Hallow, I love that name, Mm -hmm. a certified veterinary practice manager and a licensed veterinary technician, we're discussing an article that he penned about dogs and American Indians. Well, we need to take a commercial break and then come back and finish up with our discussion with uh, Bash Hallow about American Indians and their dogs. Does your pet have dry, flaky and itchy skin? Do you find yourself visiting the veterinarian repeatedly because Fido or Fluffy has skin allergies or ear infections? EpiPet to the rescue. Developed by a veterinarian, EpiPet is a revolutionary, high-performance skin and ear care product line made with the finest natural ingredients. EpiPet, for you and your pet, means better pet health. For more information, epi-pet.com.
2: EpiPet is another proud partner of the Pet
0: Buzz. I'm Beth Adelman, Certified Feline Behaviorist. You're listening to The Pet Buzz, the best in
2: pet talk radio. I'm petrondologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. Here at The Pet Buzz, we are urban, suburban, and country. Well, we're back with Bash Hallow,
0: talking about American Indians and their dogs. You had a question, Dr. Fleck? I do, I
2: do. Within the tribe, who primarily cared for and trained the dogs?
4: women were mostly responsible for uh, training and caring for the dogs. Um, uh, They also had this, you know, they were they were responsible for managing their breeding. So there is some evidence to believe that the dogs, when they came in heat, were actually tied outside of the encampment so that they could be crossbred with the uh, the wolves. So that's kind of in keeping, Charlotte, with what you said about the, the, the pictures of the Native American dogs that you saw that had more of that wolf-like or long-haired uh, uh, appearance could have come with crossbreeding that they did with uh, the wolves. But they also had kind of this cruel way of calling the puppies so sometimes when there were large litters they didn't keep all the puppies and they had this ritual where they would burn sage and they would take the newborn puppies and they would stick their faces up into the smoke of this burning sage and they'd leave the puppies there so they were until they were so sickened by the smoke from that sage that they would actually foam with the mouth and then they would put those puppies on the ground if the puppies were still strong enough to stand They were considered strong enough to be a part of the tribe, and they were kept. But unfortunately, if they could not survive that ordeal, they were culled. Wow. Well,
0: talk to us about the trade of dogs. I know American Indians um, traded with dogs. They brokered dogs, right?
4: Absolutely. So, you know, Native Americans were ubiquitous throughout North America, and they needed a work animal. You know, many of us think of, uh Native Americans as riding on horses in the plains and all of those gun smoke shows that we saw but horses are not indigenous to North America they were brought here by the Spanish in the 16th century. Before then, the dog was the primary work animal of the Native American. So just as Europeans would end up trading for better breeds of pigs or chickens or oxen to accomplish whatever job they wanted, so the indigenous people in North America traded breeds of dogs depending upon the kind of work or the kind of thing that they were trying to accomplish by having this dog as a member of the tribe.
0: It's amazing, right? So interesting. You know, it's really funny because when you see all these shows now that talk about American Indians or they're part of a show, you never see any dogs. No. So I guess that's the fallacy, or somebody hasn't really done their research when they're trying to make these true to life, you know, stories. Uh, they need to get, you know, I, th- I think I might have to write to Taylor Sheridan and tell him to
2: put some dogs
0: <laughs> in in those prequels like 1988. I mean, you know, I, it's funny because Yellowstone you know everybody knows yellowstone it's one of the hottest show. it is the hottest show on cable tv and you know you don't really see a lot of the dog life even uh, in another prequel starring harrison ford and helen Mirren, in 1923 where we're seeing sheep farmers coming over from europe there are no dogs we just don't see dogs and dogs are such an integral part of the lot li- of the li- with livestock I mean, even here in this country, there was a story, I guess it took place in Georgia. I don't know if you heard this bash, but a Kuvash, uh, which is a big fluffy dog, a a extra large dog, fought off a pack of wolves all night so his owner's livestock uh, wouldn't get destroyed. So, you know, that's why we we see these dogs are so heroic we know that they work so it's it's nice to highlight the aspect of dogs that we don't see on a daily basis dogs that are part of history especially the
4: native american history in this country yeah maybe they can't find enough dogs with their sag card because i think that anybody <laughs> doing their research <laughs> no, but it's true but i think that anybody doing their research would find that dogs i mean throughout history i mean there's evidence you know when i was writing this piece There's evidence of man working with dog, especially even in warfare, as far back as the seventh century BC. So I think that you're right, Charlotte, anybody that dug into a little bit of the research about who these people were and what they needed to accomplish, especially in the rough terrains of America, would have had to have uncovered that um, dogs were an integral part of the life. It's probably some production, some, some barrier in the production process that prevents so many dogs being unset
2: yeah, Bash. talk to us about how the early Europeans used their dog in relation to the American Indian.
4: Well, that's uh, a horrific story. Um, as I mentioned earlier, we're used to for you know centuries now, using dogs in warfare, and the Spanish had been using the mastiff breed in warfare in Europe. And when they came to the Americas, you know, they were initially greeted by the natives as godlike and uh, the natives were so innocently trusting of the Spanish. And unfortunately the Spanish took a great deal advantage of the natives. In fact, many believe that the whole Renaissance movement in Europe was fueled from the gold that was stolen from the natives in the Americas in the uh, 16th century. And after the natives started pushing back on the Spanish, the Spanish brought their Mastiff dogs to the Americas and they upped their game by training those dogs to hunt down and kill the Native Americans. Uh, you can actually see uh, pictures of this. Actually, I have a picture of it in the article that I wrote. It's horrific.
0: Yeah, we'll make sure we put that, because that's a very well-known that's part of lithograph. history that I knew nothing about. Yeah, no. I mean, not only did they kill them, they obviously brought smallpox and other European diseases mm-hmm. to this country and en- enslaved them in North and South America. Mm. It's you know part of our American history that uh, we really can't rewrite in our history books although many people are trying to do that. Um, you know, Bash, where can we learn more about American
4: Indians and their relationships with dogs? Well, you know, as I said, I got my start Uh, visiting the the Cultural Center and National Museum in Bismarck, North Dakota. But certainly go to the website, brookfieldanimalhospital.com. It's spelled just like it sounds. And you can read the article that I wrote on Native Americans and their dogs. And in there are all the links from which you might want to jump to see if you want to look at pictures of Native American dogs. There are um, links in there, how they're trained, etc. So that would be a good jumping off place. You could just go to the magnifying glass on the upper right hand side of the website and just type in Native American dogs and the article will come up. And that's uh, brookfieldanimalhospital.com.
2: Wow. Bash, thank you so much for joining us today. It was very interesting and a pleasure speaking with you. Before you go, though, give us your website link.
4: Sure. It's bashhalow.com. That's B-A-S-H-H-A-L-O-W.com.
0: That was Bash Hallow discussing American Indians and their dogs. Fascinating discussion, making me want to learn more. What about you? Next up, Global Pet News. And now Pet Buzz News from around the globe. Well, when it comes to naming pets, American cat and dog owners apparently choose certain names more frequently than others do. That's at least what rover.com found when researchers analyzed pet profiles on the animal boarding website for its annual dog and cat name reports. The pet website identified the top 100 pet names that were attached to male and female dogs and cats nationally. Top dog names include Max, Charlie, Cooper, Milo, Buddy, Rocky, Bear, Teddy, Duke, and Leo. For girls, Luna, Bella, Daisy, Lucy, Lily, Zoe, Lola, Sadie, Bailey, and Stella. For cats, Oliver was the most reported male cat name. Other names within the top 10 that might have a pop culture connection are Simba, the protagonist of Disney's The Lion King, and Loki, the mythical Norse god of mischief, who has been depicted as a villain turned anti-hero in Marvel's comic book and movie franchise. Now let's end the show on a good note with tell me something good and
1: that's like your attention
4: please news of the day got you down no worries pet trendologist Charlotte Reed is here with tell me something good
1: this is a necessity like air and oxygen tell me something good
0: a rescue pup could soon have a full set of paws thanks to the creative minds of a high school class the dog, formerly named forest stump came to wisconsin from texas at four months old with a missing paw the pup was rescued by texas rescue riders a rescue group that saves pets in rural texas and transfers them to foster homes and adopters in the midwest forest along with his mom and siblings, were found living under a camper. Jessica Litzik, the foster and adoption coordinator at Texas Rescue Riders, told a local outlet that they often work with special-need pets because they're willing to take on challenging cases that can incur high cost. So in came Sarah Gautier, an engineering teacher in Racine, Wisconsin, who decided to assign her class a unique and valuable project. She challenged her students to design and create a prosthetic paw for Forrest, who was living with her. Students first measured one of Forrest's paws and then took photos of it using a 3D laser. After these first few steps, the students worked in groups to create custom paws for Forrest. One of the challenges students faced when designing their prosthetic paw was the fact that Forrest was a puppy who eventually was gonna grow. And Forrest, of course, had grown since the class had measured him. And even with the challenge, one of the design seemed to be a good fit for the pup. He actually got up and walked around on his prosthetic for a few minutes. In the past month, it's been a very exciting month for Forrest. He was recently adopted and now goes by a new name of Harvey. His new family is hoping his final prosthetic will be ready to go by March. Now that's something good. Well, it's a wrap, Dr. Fleck. Again? Again. Already? Already. But before we go, we want to give you a preview of next week's show. Next week, we're talking about January as Blood Donation Month, vegan diets for pets, and of course, more.
2: Dr. Fleck, would you be so kind as to thank our guests? Yes, thanking our special guests, Bash Halo and Amy Tokas. Of course,
0: we must always thank our sponsors, the Animal Medical Center of Bradenton and EpiPet, making better skin coat and ear care products for healthier pets everywhere. Now, if you have a question, write to us at team@thepetbuzz.com. At we'll cover it on next week's show. And if you missed any portion of this show, visit our social media channels, as well as your favorite streaming channel, and listen to the linked podcast on Monday morning. Most importantly, remember, we're here each week to help you take better care of your pets. Peace out out and pet love
1: goodbye thank you for listening to this episode of the pet buzz the pet buzz is hosted by the dynamic pet duo pet trendologist charlotte reed and dr michael fleck www.thepetbuzz.com learn more about us the show and our guests